3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramer America. I love be with my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and yes, at times, criticize. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what? It's the revenge of the old guard, right now, right here. All sorts of boring conventional companies are taking back the market, while the digitizers and disruptors are being burned at the sell, stake. Sell, sell. That includes today where the Dow gained 334 points. That's where the action is. The industrials, the s climbed 0.56%. NASDAQ advanced 0.49%. I don't think that'll happen tomorrow, though. Yeah, we got to acknowledge something here. We got to acknowledge that regardless of what happens in the midterm elections tonight, this market's going through something that's roughly analogous to the dot-com collapse. Tech is now for sale in large part because of incredible competition everywhere. For the longest time, tech companies grew and grew and grew because they had the field of themselves. Amazon owned e-commerce, then cloud infrastructure. Microsoft owned Windows, Outlook, enterprise software. Facebook owned social media, buying any major competitor like Instagram. Apple had the best consumer technology. Netflix-owned streaming, Google-owned search, Salesforce-owned customer relations management, Workday, ServiceNow, digitized what the other guys didn't. They each had their own separate domain where they were untouchable. But then they all started going against each other. Microsoft's Azure goes up against Amazon Web Services, which goes up against Google Cloud. Netflix now competes with half a dozen streaming services, including Disney+, Plus, which reported such a horrible quarter tonight that I am stunned! And I'm addressing the situation with investing club members this evening in a very harsh way. Highly unusual for me. Meanwhile, everyone got into gaming. Every enterprise software play wanted a piece of customer relations management. They're all taking it. And these are just the kings. There are lots of smaller vassals that digitize finance or real estate or the auto industry, including Tesla, which has become a broken stock, even as the underlying company's in good shape. Carvana, broken stock, broken company. Well, how about the free-for-all that's tech lending? I mean, holy cow, fintech lending is just, it, it's its disastrous. A firm reported a good quarter tonight, but a weaker forecast. CEO Max Levchin will be on the show later on to explain. Upstart gave you a miserable forecast, and it is being crushed. Sell, 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 sell. Can't say I didn't bring that one. Although I sure did get one. Get some right, you get some wrong. Meta's the worst-performing stock in the S&P 500. No wonder. It needs advertising, and ad dollars are in short supply going into a huge slowdown. Major layoffs expected there, according to The Wall Street Journal. As I said to David Faber this morning, I think they start tomorrow. Perhaps worst of all is crypto. Crypto's in meltdown mode. Some of these are in such dire situations that I I actually don't want to comment on the players on air. Let me put it this way. This morning on Twitter... I said that a bet on Bitcoin is a bet on the balance sheet of Sam Bankman-Fried, a colorful character who seems to be the J.P. Morgan of crypto. Poser? Savior? Who the heck knows? We do know this. The global market cap of all crypto fell below a trillion dollars today. It was nearly $3 trillion at the high almost exactly a year ago. You know what? That should make J.P. J.Pal smile. The Fed wants to crush all things speculative. There's nothing more speculative than cryptocurrency, even as the people who push it would tell you that it is better than gold. Yeah, that's what's getting obliterated here. But now let's talk about who's winning, because I'm sick and tired of being so negative. No, I'm not. That Disney was, that Disney revolted me. Upstart. All right, I'm done with being negative. Who's winning? How about companies that don't have much competition, or at least the competition is so muted that it can't disrupt the status quo? Yeah, let's start. You probably heard some of these. I like the crypto fintech stuff. You probably heard some of these, okay? It's not like the, the uh, Ethereum. I'm talking about, let's start with pharma, okay? How about that? Let's deal with that. If you look at what's really working in this market, well, here's two shockers. Johnson & Johnson & Lilly, you ever hear of those? Are they in Silicon Valley? No, these guys depend on products with a very long shelf life. J and J's compounds are incredible, whether they're talking cardio, drugs, cancer treatments, medical devices, even the consumer products business that they're spinning out, I like that. They have trust. Eli Lilly may have the Holy Grail, a diabetes drug that also promotes weight loss. And they're totally hush-hush about what could be a game-changing Alzheimer's drug, unlike Silicon Valley, which would tell you that they've already cured everybody, you just don't know it. Then there's aerospace, particularly Boeing. Now, this has been one of the worst managed companies I've ever seen. But that era seems to be coming to an end, right when we're also seeing a stunning shortage of planes. And it's not like the only real competitor, Airbus, can fill all the demand. For the longest time, we figured Boeing would have, have, would have to beg the Chinese airlines to keep their orders. Now, now I think the shoe's on the other foot because there's an aircraft shortage thanks to the booming travel business tra- that has uh, airlines eager for more capacity. You know what, China? Hey, People's Republic, listen up. You're too late. Boeing stocks caught fire over the past six weeks as people realize they don't need any China orders at all. And it's taken up all things aerospace with them. How about Honeywell? There's a good company. Do you really buy now, pay now? Hey, I like that. Uh, Raytheon, uh, buy now, pay in advance. I don't know. Again, unlike the tech disruptors, these aerospace plays tend to be part of benign oligopolies. They're not really competing. Well, it's gentle competition. They're, it's Harvard-Yale, you know what I mean? There are literally only two companies in the world that make large commercial aircraft at scale. They aren't about to be disrupted by some outfit in Silicon Valley that's not even in a garage. It's in a bay- No, it's in, it's in a big island in Hawaii. I think Caterpillar's in a similar situation. There are only a couple companies left that really know how to make Earth movers at a time when we're about to move billions of tons of Earth as part of the big federal infrastructure bill. Cat's going to end up with more orders than it can handle. Mark my words, and I can say the same thing about Deer. Listen, I know you're not supposed to buy something like Caterpillar going into recession, but what if this recession ends up being short-lived because there's so much infrastructure sloshing around? Of course, the laid-off computer scientists and software engineers—they might not fit into the assembly line. I mean, that Stanford degree, you know, the the, the, the computer science degree—it doesn't really help you on the assembly line. But you know what? Good. Those guys had ton- that was—they had their time, they made their money, they made their fortunes. Meanwhile, we're seeing a remarkable performance from uh, PepsiCo. Yeah, and why not? Their costs come down to food, plastics, cans, some glass. All these commodities are coming down big. Next year, PEP will have radically lower costs. In the old days, Wall Street preferred microchips. But now the semiconductor space has become viciously competitive. These days, if it comes down to a choice of Doritos or Intel, I say, make mine cool ranch. How about Starbucks? Man, you seen that horse? It's incredible. It's been on fire. Why? Because it's actually harnessing technology. Thank you, Howard Schultz, to make cold coffee in its various... It turned out the cold brew is what anybody wanted, but Starbucks couldn't make it fast enough. Now they got the machines to do it. They are taking back an entire industry that they almost lost, that they invented. Maybe the best example of a company that can't be disrupted, one that's in ascendance, even as its stock can't get much love at all because of recession fears, is a company called Nucor. This is the largest, most efficient steelmaker in America, perhaps the world, because the other guys are all who knows what their numbers are. In many ways, Nucor is the poster boy for what I'm talking about. A company with a stock that sells for less than five times earnings that I think is going to have a huge fourth quarter and an even bigger next year. And I don't care about J-PAL. How is this possible? How about because Nucor makes the most sustainable steel in the world? Steel that can help automakers like GM meet their own environmental goals. How about because all that federal infrastructure money will go to the states, which will then turn around and buy the steel from Nucor, because they're the only game in town? Yeah, it's kind of like the way Microsoft was in 1998. Remember that? How about all the orders it's going to get from the CHIPS Act? Oh, we could go on and on. You know, there could be $100 billion invested in building semiconductor foundries. How about the fact that Nucor makes the cheapest and strongest windmill steel in the world? Eventually, I expect it's going to be one of our largest leading exports. While nearly all of its competitors were downsized, emerging, or going under, Nucor kept investing in its plants and, more importantly, its people. They're practically the last man standing. So let me give you the bottom line of this rant. This market's still full of people who haven't adapted to the new reality. They're looking to find the right level to start buying and Snap. And they want the caucuses of software as a service. But me? Give me Nucor Steel. Holds up longer, more uses. They're facing little dishes, the once great tech stocks used to have. And I got to tell you, now I'm restricted, but I'm thinking this is a better stock to own for the club, the investing club, than any. Well, no, I like a lot of this. I love the Lillian Change A some of the board, but you know what I mean. I'm sick of tech. Bernie in Pennsylvania, please, Bernie. Hey Jim, a uh, Big Ten Penn State booyah to you. Well, a uh, Jeff Lawrence what- booyah right back at you. Hey? Penn State. He's a Nittany Lion. Yes, sir. Yes. Hey, so is Miles Sanders if you want to go there. At- I like Sanders. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I do, too. I want you to look at Workday. Look, I think Workday's doing a terrific job and Neil Bushry's doing great, but I have to tell you, I'm not that fond right now of these software companies that have high multiples. I am looking for hardware companies that aren't intact that have low multiples. All right, listen. The market's still full of people who haven't adapted the new reality. We've been trying to get out of tech for months now for the charitable trust. And I got to tell you, tonight, good example, Zoom. That actually may be the right level. I don't know. It's falling along with the broader tech cohort. Maybe the stock's poised to finally go higher after the fact that it's got a great balance sheet in zoomtopia topia 2022. Let's get the information from the latest from the CFO. Then the IPO class in 2021, rough year, right? Uh, and after falling from its highs, could Portillo's be poised to buck the trend after reporting a host of good numbers? I'm talking to the CEO in front of the company's famous beef bus. I prefer a beef bus to Disney. Mickey should be a sheep. And a firm has felt the pain of the fintech meltdown. And I'm learning more about what the company has in its pipeline with the CEO. Another tough one. So stay with Kramer.
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: This earnings season, practically the whole entire software space has collapsed with some truly hideous declines in a group of already beaten down stocks. Hey, but what about the names that have already come down huge from their highs to the point where you could argue that maybe they're actually value stocks? Take Zoom Video. Yeah, the video conference play that took over the world during the worst phase of the pandemic only see its stock crumble once the world started going back to normal. This thing peaked more than two years ago. Holy cow. Way back in October of 2020, and it's now down 86% from those levels. But, and this is a very big but, while well, so many other tech plays have gotten killed lately, Zoom actually stopped going down a few months ago. At these levels, it's far from expensive, trading 21 times this year's earnings estimates, $5 billion in cash, $25 billion market cap. The only question is, if can they give us a reason to get excited and start buying? Earlier today, Zoom held an Investor Day. Uh, it's uh, The sidelines, it's called the Zoomtopia user conference, where they made the case for owning the stock, but also, of course, for using the product. Before that event got rolling, we had a chance to speak with Kelly Stackelberg. She's the CFO of Zoom Video Communications. Kind of like what I heard. Take a look. Kelly, I have to tell you, I am astonished at what Zoomtopia has shown me, particularly for the enterprise. Things like call centers, things like uh, being able to train salespeople. Uh, some of the apps that you have. So I want to give you the floor to explain to people that Zoom is not some one-to-one conversational product that we used during COVID, but it's actually an amazing platform for enterprise.
5: Thank you, Jim. Um, First of all, I'm excited to be here, and you are exactly right. A great example of that is Zoomtopia, our first version of it in hybrid, which is running on our own platform, Zoom Events. As you can see, I'm here live with many of our customers and prospects, but we have thousands that are joining virtually. So it's a great example of in this new world, how we're bringing people together, both in person and virtually. We're also super excited today to have announced email and calendar. So this is going to allow customers now to bring email and calendar into the Zoom interface. So they're going to be more efficient without having to toggle back and forth and continuously context changing. And then, as you noted, we are so excited to continue to see growth and ongoing development in areas like Zoom Phone, which we are the fastest growing cloud PBX provider. Also, newer products like Zoom Contact Center and Sales IQ. And these are just great examples of how we're continuing to innovate to meet our customers' needs.
3: Well, let's go over what I regard as conversational intelligence, which is an extraordinary thing that Zoom has, where you literally can look in and take a look at past interviews. You can take a look. People can share interviews. They can find out and see what might sell as a great sales tool. I know you've got Bill McDermott on your board now from ServiceNow. So you really do have a terrific team to show how you can leverage Zoom to get much more out of a customer.
5: That's exactly right. So Zoom IQ for sales is a great tool that allows especially sales organizations to understand and highlight how their sales teams are being trained, how they're highlighting their product, And we've continued to see growth in that area as well as requests from customers to even extend that. Imagine if you could use it in your call center to continue to trade your agents. Well, I always say, even with my team, when we're doing interviews like this, I could go back and listen to it and use it to help myself even improve. And it's a really, really powerful tool to continue to make sales organizations especially more effective and help highlight where they have opportunities for growing more revenue.
3: Well, I've got to tell you, there is a grave dichotomy that worries me. Uh, some of the analysts are starting to get and understand what you're talking about at ZoomTopia. Others are just viewing it as binary. that. These either work or you're going to get sold because you have a lot of cash and your market cap's low. I mean, I'm looking at is perhaps this is a true growth engine and that the growth engine is being ignored by Wall Street.
5: You know, Jim, the, the future of work has really changed. And we are the company that has helped define that and continue to support our customers in it. And if you think about what we hear from our customers is their employees especially want flexibility. And if you have employees that are working outside of the office, even one day a week, you need Zoom meetings for all of them. You also need products like Zoom Rooms, which bring them together to ensure that you have an inclusive environment. Zoom Phone is a perfect tool to give them as it allows them flexibility. They don't have to have two phones. They can have the cloud PBX right on their client on their personal phone, but have a separate phone number. And then, of course, when you layer in contact center and zoom it for sales and then email and calendar what we're getting is it's really extensible platform which makes us an indispensable partner to our customers so i agree with you it's it's not binary we are continuing to evolve we added in fact 1500 new features and enhancements in just the last 12 months to our platform and that is going to continue to have zoom be the partner of choice our customers love us and we um with the you know, continue to expand to the platform, they will continue to do so.
3: All right. So now last week we had Atlassian and Twilio both talk about how they were trying to they got customers. The funnel was good. But once they got the customers in, the customers are now cherry. They're not willing to spend like they used to. Is a Zoom customer you obtained not willing to take on some of the additional products that we're talking about?
5: No. In fact, you know, we see our customers continuing to move up the stack in terms of adding more and more products. Uh, We have, have, you know, 10% of our customers account for approximately 50% of our ARR today, which just shows you they continue to build on this platform and layering their products. And it just makes it more efficient for their, their employees rather. As you think about with the zoom within the zoom interface, they can do their calendar, their meetings, their phone, their email. And that just makes it so easy. And it's, more efficient for the customers themselves, because they can now start to limit the number of vendors that they're working with, which is great for IT organizations. The change management is really easy. So we continue to see customers moving up the stack as they're adding more and more Zoom uh, products to their list.
3: All right. So when we think about Zoom, we think about Microsoft Teams in the same way that Slack had to do the big battle versus outlook. Now, these new products would seem to be giving you an edge versus Teams. Now, I'm not sure whether you have data, which just shows how much more customers, uh, enterprise customers, like Zoom with these different apps. Uh, But head-to-head, how have you been doing uh, versus uh, Microsoft Teams?
5: You know, we are always focused on delivering happiness to our customers. And that means providing them amazing Zoom products, but also providing them interfaces for when they want to integrate with other you know, other products or other vendors. And our relationship with Microsoft is one of both partnership as well as competition. And we continue to meet our customers where they are so that if they want to use a combination of platforms, we're going to enable them to do so.
3: Excellent. Well, Kelly, thank you so much again for coming on Mad Money. Uh, direct from Zoomtopia, which seems like it's uh, doing very well for you. Thank you so much.
5: Thanks so much for having
3: me, Tim. That's Kelly Stuckelberg. She's the CFO of Zoom. Mad Money will be back.
4: Ahead on Mad Money. Order up. This food slinger's earnings are in. Kramer takes a bite
2: next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
5: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
3: Nearly every stock that came public last year has been crushed. One reason I spent so much time warning you away from them. But there are actually a few pieces of terrific, legitimate merchandise scattered among the landfill that is the IPO class of 2021. For example, there is Portillo's, the restaurant chain best known for its Italian beef sandwiches and Chicago-style hot dogs, but so much more. While the stock has come down from $57 at its highs roughly a year ago to 22 and change today, thanks to what's known as the IPO meltdown, the actual company just keeps putting up great results. That includes last week when Portillo's reported a fabulous quarter, a clean top and bottom line beat, nearly 6% same-store sales growth, even though the analysts were only looking for a little over 2%. And you know what? The stock's been gaining momentum of late, up nearly 15% over the past four weeks. Today, the company held its inaugural Investor Day, so we figured it was a good time to check in with Michael Osanlu. He is the president and CEO of Portillo's, who came to the New York Stock Exchange today and brought Portillo's famous beef bus with him. Mr. Osanlu, it is a pleasure to see you here. Thank you, in you Jim. Thank, thank you so much. We're honored to be here. All right. So I did have the great pleasure to go to the one in Skokie. Yes. Just a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I said to myself and I said to my wife, I've always looked for stocks where there's something that's good in a region that plays. It can be all over the country. I have found it in Portillo's. But why is it so darn good? Well, I mean, it, it, we've talked about this a little bit before.
6: The restaurant business can be super simple. You give people amazing food, abundant portions at a great price, and a great experience. It's a beautifully self-fulfilling model, right? And it's as simple as that. We top that with taking great care of our frontline team members. I hope you had a great experience in Skokie. I hope the team was amazing to you. My
3: my wife wanted to tip everybody in the process. Remember, because it is a process. You should tell people Yes, it is. It's not just like you get up to the counter and they have it. You go around.
6: Yeah. Well, that's part of the magic of experiencing Portillo's. We have that front order taker who hopefully helps you figure out what to order. And then there's like a little bit of theater because as you walk down the line, you're watching somebody snapping a bag, making hot dogs, dipping the beef onto the uh, the bread. So there's a little bit of uh, of theater as you're going. And then when they're actually sending your food, you know, hopefully they gave you a little rhyme like, "Hey, number 55, look alive with a smile,
3: always spotless too." Yes. Spotless. Good. Uh, eat a floor. Yes. Now, uh, Arizona, Indiana, Texas, Cal- California, you're, Central Florida, you're, you couldn't be everywhere eventually, right? I mean, what, how many do you have now? How many could you have? Well, as of today,
6: 71. Okay. Tomorrow, next week, 72. Okay. And uh, I don't think it's a – we will be everywhere. I think this is a concept that travels. I was telling the analysts today that our numbers, as gaudy as they are, right if you just looked at Arizona, Florida, and uh, California – We have $6.4 million average restaurant in those states with 20-plus percent restaurant-level margins. That's
3: a a great restaurant concept by itself. It's just not, it's, it's unimaginable. I think people need to know that an average store from any other guy makes nowhere near. Right. And there's also something I found really incredible about your place. We've got tremendous food inflation. Tremendous. Yeah. I mean, everybody talks about it. You've managed to keep that price relatively low, even though it is clearly a bargain to begin
6: with. Yeah. So $9.75 is what the average person spends at Portillo. Right. Right. $9.75. I was right there. And we are very purposefully uh, lagging the pricing of a lot of our competitors. Because in times like this, when consumers are feeling the pinch, they're tight, we would rather get business traffic repeat visits than necessarily buff up margins for a quarter or two. We will price appropriately, but in the near term, that value proposition, that's what keeps people coming back to Portillo's.
3: Now, do people understand that there are a lot of places in Chicago that do similar things? I mean, yeah. this is, I mean, look, I'm from Philly, yeah. so it's a Philly cheesesteak, never travels. I never would ever buy a cheesesteak outside of Philadelphia yeah. because they always stink. Right. This works. Yeah. Why is this able to be taken out of Chicago man? I I think that there's a universality
6: to the food, right? A hot dog is a hot dog. People love hot dogs. A beef sandwich. When we tell people Italian beef sandwich, and I want you to try one. It's it's just it's try a roast one. Beef. I had
3: two of them when I was there a <laughs> couple of weeks ago.
6: It's a roast beef sandwich on delicious bread with au jus.
3: That's that is a universal dish all across America. At the same time, you are you are so transparent. You talked about how you have construction delays, yeah. siting problems. I mean, you're, you, you know, labor is not easy to get. Right. But you do something with labor that is incredible, and you and Costco—the only two companies I ever heard say it—people don't leave when they right. work when they go to work for Portillos, and that's the secret to your profitability.
6: Uh, it's definitely one of the secrets, right? We were talking about this. Our uh, our turnover at the hourly level is twenty-five to thirty percentage points lower than the industry. Our turnover at the management level, 10 to 15% lower than the industry. And you know, there's hard costs, but there's a lot of soft costs right. associated with turnover. We get to avoid a lot of those.
3: You talked about it. You said it's dead weight loss, basically. When yeah. you have a new, because that person is not ready, right. you, don't let them, you don't want them to be with the customer because the customer's used to the right. smile and That's no right. tension. That's right. Just amazing. Now, um, when you look at the, at the long-term growth, one of the things that I've seen people sit right there do is they get to that 700 too quickly, and yeah. then they sacrifice the quality. Right. I mean, at what point do you have to say, okay, look, I can add 10, I can add 15, but they have to be perfect. i got to visit each one, make sure. Because yeah. you are you are a perfectionist. Yes. I'm a micromanager oh,
6: and a But I like that. But So here's, here's what our philosophy is right now. I want slow, steady growth where every restaurant is a home run.
3: And don't let the Wall Street screw you They're up. We're not going Don't to. let them screw you up with this.
6: The other thing, and this is a secret I've shared. Every restaurant we open opens with an experienced Portillo's general manager. I want them to know what it's supposed to look like and feel like. I want them to know how to be the cultural ambassador, and I'm not opening Portillo's with brand-new people who don't know us.
3: Well, i got to tell you, um, I think you're, you're definitely pulling it off. Uh, once again, I want to tell people that if, if, beside the fact that how delicious it is, the profitability per store, yeah. is there any higher in the country? I certainly don't know of one. See, I think that's the you know, for because remember, I got to please both the eaters and the shareholders. Yeah, and it's very rare. I mean, maybe Chipotle because I you know I admire that fantastic company. But that's really about it. Yeah, that's how special your
6: company is. Do you know what else? We're a really young company in the sense of being a public company.
3: Right, there's a lot of opportunity ahead of us. Well, I'm counting on you. Okay, I got to tell you, I'm counting. I told my travel trust guy Jeff Marks, this may be the one. This yeah. might be the one. That's Michael Osanlo. He's the CEO of Portillo's. Look, I didn't believe it until I went to the one in Skokie, and I bet you I could have gone to any one of them. Yeah. I mean, my wife, my wife said, "Stop it already! Stop <laughs> eating!" Thank you, Michael. Very nice. see you. Thank see you, back to me.
4: Coming up, where to begin? A firm has some explaining to do, and Kramer gets it done. Next.
3: Financial technology apocalypse just keeps on rolling. A year ago, fintech was on fire in a good way. Now it's on fire in a burning to death way. And the pain, it just doesn't stop. The
2: house of pain. Look at a
3: firm, the buy now, pay later kingpin. After peaking a year ago, the stock has now lost more than 90% of its value going to today's close because the lending business is a lot less attractive when the Fed rapidly raises interest rates. Unexpected. Then a firm reported after the bell, and while they actually turned in some solid results for the quarter, beating expectations on every major line, tech and share, the guidance was a lot less encouraging. And that's what's killed in the stock. Management lowered their full year gross margin volume and revenue forecast, both, as well as their operating margin forecast, which is probably the most important, and suggests that we're looking at larger than expected losses, although we can't be sure, certain of that. It's obviously not what Wall Street wants to see. It's why the stock's getting hammered after hours trading because people are very fearful, but there's no degradation in loan credit yet. Maybe there's meets the, the story meets the eye. And that's why earlier today, we sat down with Max Levchin, the founder, chairman, CEO of firm Holdings, to struggle about getting a full picture. So take a look. Mr. Lepchin, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Max, a uh, lot of things good in this quarter obviously taking a lot of share, doing a tremendous amount of business. Uh, First, before we get into your guidance, just tell us uh, how competitive the situation is and how you're standing versus your peers.
1: In a firm where I sit, uh, we're doing pretty great. We took market share. We grew a lot on every important metric that we care about. Our consumer frequency, which is how much people care to use our product again and again increased by 39%, which is ahead of even our own plans. Um, competitively, it seems like we are the uh, current winner in the buy now pay later world.
3: All right. Now, you were uh, conscious, of course, the stock is down, so we've got to deal with that head on. You've always been straight with me, and I know you'll be straight with me now. One of the reasons why the stock is down is uh, gross merchandise. The you you did say that the guidance of twenty point five to twenty one point five billion, which is below what you were uh, the consensus was twenty one point five six billion and down from the previous guidance. How important is that? And should, do you think that uh, create the kind of sell-offs that we're seeing?
1: It's not for me to comment on how the market should react to my numbers. The guys, is the guy. Um right. We forecast business fairly precisely, I'd like to believe. And uh, obviously, U.S. is in the middle of the beginnings of a downturn. It's prudent to, uh, to take that into consideration. We don't live in a vacuum. That said, we are comparing to... Uh, to to situations uh, every day that are changing pretty wildly. uh, So,
3: yeah. Well, let's talk about what happens in a higher rate environment. I did not see any degradation of credit. Uh, Again, I'm not, you know, to some degree I'm playing devil's advocate to the stock. uh, But because I look at credit, uh, I would have thought that it would have gotten much worse with rising interest rates. I did not see that
1: funny you should say that so i was watching your show last night and the uh, buy now pay never meme uh got to me a little bit so i apologize uh but uh that's not us i think the market has to figure out at some point that we are different if you look at the credit results you just referred to we are managing to the number that is exactly what it was before the pandemic which you know before uh before everything and uh that is because it's no accident. It's by design. We're running the company to goals that we set for ourselves. And we have the kind of controls that I think a lot of our peers in this space, frankly, do not to hit the numbers that we feel we must hit. And so you're right. It's independent of rates, independent of GMB, independent of everything. We decide how much money we're willing to risk and what we're going to do about it. And so far, we have been exactly just in control as we promised our shareholders.
3: All right. Should we be concerned about the adjusted operating margin guidance of 7% to uh uh, which is worse than the previous, 7%, 5%, which is p- worse than the previous guidance of 6.5% to 45 That seems to, to imply to me that things have gotten tougher in the business.
1: Um, so obviously there is eventually, and I think we started saying this in, uh, as, as, as long as February of this year, there is an impact uh, that interest rates as they rise have on, on our margins. Ultimately, they're not linear. Um, I think right now we're saying that 300 basis point movement of the rate has about a 10 to 20 basis point movement impact on our uh, margins, but uh, we have lots of uh, tools of of mitigating that. We're investing pretty heavily in projects the second half of the fiscal year to make sure that our margins not just stay consistent, but improve. So uh, we feel quite good about that. But that said, there's real impact. Um, Just to uh, give you a sense, I I think the uh, terminal rate uh, prediction went up 150 basis points in the last two months. That's fairly unprecedented.
3: Well, the reason I ask is because a lot of companies have decided, including yours, to prioritize profits. And I want a firm to grow. I want a firm to take share, but I want a firm to be profitable. Is that uh, in the near term? Is that just the wrong way to approach the stock and the company?
1: No, that's exactly the right way to approach the stock. So I'll, I'll just give you a couple of data points that should frame sort of where we are in terms sure. of both growth and profitability. First and foremost, profitability is still exactly. In my plan and the guide and the forecast that I'm looking at is when we told the shareholders we will be, uh, that is the end of this fiscal year. We intend to uh, get to adjust our operating in positive. So that, that's, you know, that, that, that's still very much the plan and I okay. intend to deliver on that. But if you look at the 12 months that just wrapped up right now, compare that to our last year as a private company. As last two years ago this time, we were just setting up to to go public. Since then, 12 months to 12 months comparison we've uh, tripled our gmv we have quintupled our transactions we have tripled our active consumers actually more than tripled them and we've doubled the revenue and tripled revenue less transaction cost that's a growth stock i think we've done well for in less than two years of a comparison that, that that's pretty strong i feel and we're still projecting growth of 40 uh, percent um on, on GMB. Uh, in this fiscal year, and um, you know, some some really really strong numbers. So we intend to grow. We we do not plan to uh, to slow down our growth. We'll obviously moderate it with things like rising interest rates and credit, and we'll manage the numbers we must. And ultimately, turn profitable on schedule. But we intend to both grow and turn profitable. That that is
3: the goal. All right now, a previous guest, another show, uh, said that a firm was going for a three hundred million dollar uh, ABS for. And pulled it. Uh, but the asset back. you were doing, trying to get an asset-backed security that would have given you $300 million and you decided the rates weren't right, and you said no to it. Now, I want to be very careful about this, because some people will interpret that as meaning that perhaps a firm needed money that, that they didn't think a firm needed. I look at it as like saying, OK, hey, listen, if the rate's not good, I don't want that money. I don't know. I mean, not all rates. I said that to a bank recently about a piece of property. Why is that different from Max Lefkin saying I don't want to? Uh, I don't want to pay that price.
1: That's exactly right. I don't want to be glib about it. By the way, I think it's really, really important people realize that we're uh, in a very dynamic rate environment. The Fed is committed to uh, tamping inflation down, which is really important for our consumers and our merchants. So it's the right thing to do. That said. The rates are moving very wildly, which means that the rates are up, which is just fine. We can, can operate the business in you know whatever rate environment we need. But the spreads are up as well, and as you go to the asset-backed securities market, you price the deal. And we, in this case, we pre-marketed the deal and decided that the pricing we were seeing just wasn't as good as our other sources of capital. And we have an exceptionally diverse, very varied source of collection of sources of funding. So we're able to run the business by going to another source of funding and, you know, it's it both forward flows and warehousing um, of our loans that uh, we can tap into on better economics. So right, we'll that. That's what I
3: want. Right. That's what I want to hear, because I think people feel that you have only one channel. That is completely wrong. There's many, many. sources. We well, now, there may be people who say that buy now, pay later, that PayPal's got an active buy now, pay later. Apple wants to move buy now, pay later. Are you ready for all commerce?
1: You know, PayPal has been competing with us for a while, and right. uh, you know, I, I certainly have a lot of respect for uh, for what PayPal has become. That said, it has had precious little impact on our ability to grow, sign merchants. You know, obviously, eighty-five uh, percent of my transactions come from repeat consumers. People actually like our product enough to come back mm-hmm. to it, even as new entrants into the market. So, feel very good about our ability to compete. That said, we're not resting on our laurels. We keep on developing new products to make sure that uh, what we have is unique and special to our consumers.
3: And Apple? are you can Well, obviously, going up against Apple, no one wants to go up against Apple.
1: You know, again, I don't think I'm going up against Apple. I think Apple is joining a market that we've established and their user base, as important and large as it is, it's a slightly different user base. I think these people are in a much higher credit brackets than the ones we serve. We have coverage of Majority of America sort of 90 miles inland from coasts. We are helping people who are actually revolving, not to revolve. We're helping people who are deciding between buying a a nice suit and a a reasonable couch to maybe have both and feel responsible about it. And I think it's a slightly different demographic. That said, I believe BNPL is the right way of buying things for just about anyone. So more people enter, especially given Apple uh, choosing not to do late fees, I, I think it's a great thing and good for the industry.
3: Excellent. I want to thank you, Max Levchin, as always, a gentleman, CEO, and founder of a firm, for coming on Mad Money. Good to talk to you, sir. See you. Thank you. Mad Money's back here. <laughs> it is time to come to the library and come to the front, call Robin tell your enemies that you're to go buy a lot of money play in the sale. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Bob in California. Bob. open that
2: not JPEC. Bob. Hey, Jim, a big booyah. I hope your eagles go all the way, and I consider you the Chuck bet of investing with your two-way. Oh, my God. Number
3: advice. 60. I've got a shirt. <laughs> Frank Gifford, sorry. Okay, but that's just a, that's a historical reference. Go ahead. Love your opinion on charge point Holdings, CHP. Well, I'm not Thank recommending you. any stocks that are losing money, even if I think that they have something good to recommend. I can't recommend. I can't lose money for people. It's killing me. Let's go to Bob in New York, Bob.
2: Hey Jim, booyah to you from up here in New York State, from Clinton, New York. Uh, I,
3: have uh, a- I love Clinton. Some good. Oh, well, you I'm sorry. Go there, ahead. Huh? Oh, yeah, you so, bet I have. Yeah. So I'm an adder uh, Adir- I'm an adder on my 46er. Go ahead.
4: Oh, okay. All
3: right. Yeah. the yeah. monsters are up here. Great. Yeah. Most in winter. A lot of them in winter. Go ahead. go ahead. Yep. I have a question for you about the Novus energy. I noticed the... I, like down- I like Novus. I like Kennedy it have got great assets. I wish they gave it a bigger yield, but it's got great assets. I like it. No, I'm not done. Let's go to Victor in South Carolina. Victor. Hello. Victor. Yeah. You're up. It's Jim.
2: Oh, Jim, hi. This is Victor uh, from South Carolina. Jim, Excellent. you are doing a great job. I follow
5: mm. you diligently. Palantir Technologies. P-L-T-R. Sell,
3: sell, By the way, you don't curse, especially when you're doing lousy. Hey, maybe you can curse when you're doing well, but when you're doing lousy, shut up. Andy in New York, please, Andy. Jim. Big booyah from Long Island. Hey, how you doing? My first time Koala and a big fan Excellent. of your show for many years. Thank you. I'd I like love you. your opinion on Alibaba. As no, we're not recommending any Chinese communist stocks. We have enough sell, problems sell. with American stocks. We do not recommend stocks of China that is communist. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Kramer goes around the horn of an economy on the brink, next.
3: We're all worried about the Consumer Price Index. Every time this key inflation number comes in too hot, interest rates soar and stocks plummet. On Thursday, we get the dreaded CPI reading. And as as is so often the case, the estimates somehow seem very low. On a month-over-month basis, the CPI is supposed to be up 0.6%. On a year-over-year basis, it's supposed to be up 7.9%. We also have X food and energy numbers, which are expected to come in at 0.5% month over month and 6.5% year over year. Now, let me just say that I don't find this ex-food and energy basket very helpful. They call that core inflation because food and energy can be so volatile. But if, if you look at what's really hurting the consumer the, the most right now, it's food and energy. They're the ballgame. And when you look at the inputs here, they're coming in way too hot. Other than chicken wings... Almost every food input is up, in some cases up big, dairy, cereals, baked goods, fruits, vegetables. All these have been non-stop higher, even as the underlying commodities have come down from their highs this spring. Unless you shop at Costco, though, you're not going to get the benefit of these commodity declines because the food companies have no reason to pass on the savings. Energy is even worse. Gas prices have come down from their June highs, but they're still up significantly year over year. I know many Democrats would love to slap a windfall tax on the oil companies. And while they've never had the votes to get that through the Senate, Wall Street's still worried about it. But if the House of Representatives goes Republican tonight, the oil and gas industry untouchable. Maybe they'll pump more with fewer Washington worries. In the meantime, though, $89 oil, not cheap. I paid $94 this weekend to fill up a semi of a tank. Heating and air conditioning, no better. We've talked to the CEOs of Nice NYSTORCE and American Electric Power, two gigantic electric utilities, in the last few weeks. And the increase in natural gas prices has caused the the bills of people in their areas to soar. That's real bad from an inflation perspective. That said, there's some good news. We heard from outfits like Portillo's this evening that food away from home has come down versus food at home. We also know that gasoline's declined slightly from last month, but the numbers are not encouraging. How about core inflation? When you look at some of the major core items, things like tools, appliances, furniture, windows, flooring, they're beginning to go the right way. If you shop at outlets, clothing's gotten much cheaper. Used cars have come down sharply last month, yay, but they're still abused from a couple of years ago. Medical? Total wild card, but not going the right direction, I'll tell you that. Now let's step back for a second. Let me give you what I'm really worried about. When I talk to execs from the companies that I follow, the consumers' companies, they all have put through two, three, Four price increases in the last year. Four. Very few of them believe that the price hikes will continue. But the price increases that have already happened are far greater than the CPI estimates we're looking at. What I don't understand is how the consensus simply can't seem to take these higher prices into account. The numbers always seem to come in too low, like the people who put the forecast together have never been to a supermarket. I go to them, I can't believe it. Maybe this time will be different. And it could be. I mean, maybe cumulatively, maybe something broke well. But right now, when it comes to the CPI, I think we're in a hope for the best, prepare for the worst situation. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you. Right over my money, I'm Jim Grammer. See you tomorrow.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.